The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, Ecclesia. I just returned from a great trip to Raleigh. And the reason I loved going to Raleigh, at least the reason I loved going this time, was that I got to see my brother. So a friend of mine who leads a church there, the church on Morgan, called me and said, we'd really love to come and have you be with us one weekend. And I thought, man, that would be a really great idea. I'd preach for them a little bit during COVID when they weren't meeting. You could do this all on video, but I'd never been there in person. But the real reason I wanted to go is that my brother and my sister-in-law live there and I haven't seen them since COVID started. And this was a great opportunity to have someone else pay for me to go see my family. So last week before I left, I'm making all of these arrangements with my brother about when we're gonna get together and how this is gonna work. I'm gonna stay over an extra day so we can just have a whole day together uh, just to reconnect with one another. And he asked me a strange question. They go to a really large church there in Raleigh and he said, hey, do you want us to come hear you preach? Well, I'm not the kind of person that thinks that, you know, my preaching that everyone in the world should have to stop and hear me preach. So I said, whatever you want to do is fine with me. Like, I know you've got commitments at your church. If you want to do that, you're a volunteer there. I'm not going to be hurt by that. And he said, no, no, we, we, we've asked for the whole Sunday off. We want to come and we'll come to their, we'll come to their, their late service at church there. And I thought their late service. I hadn't even checked for this church to see how many services they had. Like I didn't know, like lots of times I know it's gonna be two services or three services or four services, but lots of times I don't even worry about it. I just kind of get there and you just kind of point me in the right direction and I go and I do whatever I feel like God is leading me to do in that place in that time. I hadn't even checked to see how many services they were having, how many times that I was going to need to preach that weekend. So I did what we all do when we don't know something, which is I went to Professor Google and I asked him about the church. And and you know how when you Google something, oftentimes you just get the first link is to that something's website. But other times there's this little page that has maybe a picture of the business and it's got the phone number and the address and then there's just one tiny button right there for you to click on if you wanna go to the website. But usually, when it's a business, it also has the hours that it's open. And I always find this so fascinating when I look up a church online and I look down there and it said, open 9 a.m. Sundays. And so like if you were thinking about a regular business, you would think, how do, how do you survive just being open one day of the week and that day being Sunday? Just open that time. And, and you know how also when you Google, there's this little thing that comes up and it says whether or not it's open or closed right at that minute. Well, this says closed now. Now I, now, I know this church and I know the pastor and I know that they are very much like us, Ecclesia. They're never really closed because they are concerned about their city. They're concerned about their world. They're always out and active. 
But it made me realize something about the world we live in. It brought something into perspective for me again. Is that for many people, maybe even many of us, when we think about God's church in the world, we just think about being open on Sunday. So Ecclesia, we are right in the middle of Advent conspiracy where we look around at the way that the rest of the world, maybe the way that we were trained to handle Christmas and this Advent season, the way it is, and it is so dominated by consumerism and self-concern that we actually live in a culture where the chief object of worship is the self and the idol is the selfie. And Christmas, for most Americans, maybe most people in the West even, Christmas is about adding to that self. And because we feel like God has called us into a particular way of being, a particular way of living, like we want to push against the assumption that what this is about is our own consumerism, our own gaining about avarice and adding more. So we have committed ourselves, as we have done for over 15 years, to these tenets of Advent conspiracy to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. And when you think about that, especially when you think about love, you realize that to love all really does take all. It takes all of me to love my wife and my children, to love the people I work with, to love our community. There's not any part of me that gets left out of that equation. And there's not any part of me that God is not inviting me to sacrifice on the altar of love. And, and this shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus is actually questioned about love. And in, in Matthew, the Pharisees come to him and they say, teacher of all of the laws, of all of the commandments, which commandment is the greatest? And you know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say love. Well, he does, but he doesn't say it like that. This is the way Jesus says it. He says, love the eternal one, your God, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus starts and he says, you know what? to fulfill the greatest commandment, it's gonna take all of your love. For God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and, and most of us, most of us are good with doing two out of those three. That we really can love God with all of our heart and soul, but some of us, like we take a break when it comes to the mind. And some of us are really great when it comes to the mind or the heart and we, we leave our soul out of it. We don't actually want to develop our soul. We don't like words like sin and accountability. We just want to think about God and to feel God. Lots of us are great with loving God with our soul. Like we'll, we'll, we'll do all of the things that God wants us to do to develop our soul, but we feel really distant from God and we don't have any sort of attachment to God. We don't want to go there with our heart. And God says, no, it's going to take all. It's not just love. It's all of you in love. And then Jesus says this. He says, and the second 
is nearly as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The rest of the law and all of these prophets are but variations of these themes. Love your neighbor with all of that heart, with all of that soul, with all of that mind. And the rest of the commandments, Jesus says, are variations on this theme. Another way to think about that is that if you love your neighbor and who your neighbor is, Jesus has asked about that too. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, if you love your neighbor with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And the rest of those things, well, just take care of themselves. Most of us think about love and we would never say it out loud. It's the kind of commandment that Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourselves is kind of like something we want to put up and set down. Like when it suits us, when it's convenient, when we like our neighbor, when we feel like we might get something back in return from our neighbor, that's all good. Jesus is saying, to be a follower of me, love doesn't keep business hours. It's not closed now. It's not one day a week starting at nine. It's all of you all of the time. And Christmas invites us into the habit of loving our neighbor, to love all. And here's what too few of us forget. That love is actually a habit. That it's not only about our affections and it's not only about our actions, but we can train ourselves into a new way of being, into loving people. I love the way that James K.A. Smith writes about this in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because our action our doing bubbles up from our loves, which as we've observed are habits we've acquired through practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of what's conscious. I might be learning to love a telos, an end that I'm not aware of, and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. So this is what he's saying, is that you are, you become the thing that you love. And Jesus is calling us, particularly at this season, when he comes into the world as the embodiment of love, to look to our neighbor and look to our world and begin to love all. And what's that look like for you right now? Are there people in your family that you've withheld your love? Are there people you're in a relationship with? Are there people in your neighborhood, in your city, where you've decided, do you know what? Because I love these other people, because I love love, I can withhold love from them. Because if that's the case, it doesn't matter what's under your Christmas tree or who is around your dinner table. You will miss Christmas because the reason Jesus comes to earth 
is to show us how to love. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, show us how to love the people that you've given us. Allow us to see them as gifts. Gifts to us and our lives as gifts to them to be bound up in this eternal exchange of love. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I hope you hear that clearly, Ecclesia, that love isn't something we simply pick up and put down as it suits us, as it's convenient to us. Love does not keep business hours. It's all of us, all the time. And so we may like to believe, perhaps, that, that it's our, our affections that shape our, our habits. But maybe it's, it's like Sean suggests, maybe it's, it's more the opposite, that, that in fact our, our habits reveal our true affections, that our deeper loves are actually being manifested, whether we know it or not, realize it or not, in our actions and how we are living in the world. And so this happens individually, certainly, but it also happens in and, and through and because of community. So I was uh, having a cup of coffee with Pastor Sean on the patio last week, and he asked me uh, about Miles and Mara's excitement heading into Christmas. So they're six and eight. And I, even in the moment, I felt this rush of gratitude in reflecting upon the fact that they have grown up in a community that is so passionate like ours about this, this proper orientation to Jesus in, in this season. And, and I got a little watery-eyed when I looked at their Christmas wish lists a few weeks ago. So uh, I can tell you this because they're not here. So Mara, uh, she wants a betta fish that she can care for, right? And a stuffed koala bear and some gold glittered nail polish. Miles wants a couple of Pokemon cards and, and the latest installment of a adventure book series that we've been reading together each evening. You know, and these are, these are not extravagant requests, right? This was not my relationship to Christmas growing up. This may have not been your relationship to Christmas going up. If I was a seven-year-old and you asked me for a Christmas wish list, you were gonna get a Christmas wish list. It was gonna touch the floor, right? Super Nintendo and action figures, my Teenage Mutant Ninja, what have you, and Nerf guns and all the shiny sought after, whatever that next thing was, right? But instead, now I have Mara asking Lauren and I at the dinner table, completely unprompted, why it is that we're the ones getting presents in the first place when it's Jesus's birthday. And, and that's the kids of this community, they get it. They've always gotten it. They've been the ones that have led the way in radical generosity through the years because they just have naturally been oriented to this different kind of Christmas because that's what they've been raised in. That's their habit. But then it's reciprocal because then they continue to challenge the adults to actually practice what we claim to profess and it moves forward and all of us are continuing to be molded into who we are, into who we are becoming as we seek to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so allow me briefly, just one, one last time, to summarize this, this invitation, this broader invitation over these past four weeks that we hope will shape your preparation 
and your celebration in the days ahead. So we've looked at these, these four tenets of what we call Advent conspiracy and, and asked how they might guide us into a profoundly different engagement with the Christmas season than the one maybe in which we were raised, certainly the one in which most of us have been culturally conditioned. And we've asked, what would it look like if we were to worship fully? Not only with our cards and our, our candles and our carols, but with our whole selves, that our adoration of Jesus would lead us into action and doing the things that Jesus does, sacrificing and prioritizing care for the poor and the marginalized and the outcast. And as Pastor Chris asked us last week, how might we, we prayerfully confront the myth of more and the endless chasing and the mounting debt and, and the lie, the lie that happiness and contentment is somehow directly proportional to accumulation, but that instead we would, we would disrupt those rhythms of, of thoughtless, excessive consumption and spend less, intentionally spend less. And in doing so, that we would find that we would kind of counterintuitively be able to give more, to give more of ourselves, to give more of our time and our presence thoughtfully so that we would then be able to be equipped, more equipped to meaningfully focus our generosity on those whom Jesus called us to love. Because it wasn't just a call, that Jesus modeled it. He came firsthand, he drew near Emmanuel, God with us to show us what it looks like to love all. And so we seek to love all. And we've done that for many years as a family by joining with efforts to provide for those most in need. And most specifically, our focus in this season has long been and remains being a part of providing the foundational resource of clean water in communities who lack it. And this affects everything. It's health and community developments economic prosperity, it affects women and children most acutely, it affects education across the board. If you look at your life and think for just a second what it might be like without access to clean water, I think we all realize pretty quickly how much we can take this resource for granted. And so there's still time to think about what these invitations mean for you and for your family in this season. It's no secret that church looks very different over the past two years. And our, our rhythms, our habits of giving certainly look very different over the past two years. But this is a time in which we can all do the prayerful work of asking how we are called to take part, to give generously as a family. Because we believe that as, as we do that, as all of us participate in this kind of giving together in this season, offering our very best gifts to Jesus, whether they're large or small, doesn't matter if all of us are participating in this together, that real lives, real families, the, the lives of the neighbors that we are called to love as ourselves will be changed. Communities will be transformed for generations. We believe that fully. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.